0: Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and the Seahawks season is over. Now we have the National Championship, which is over, and the LSU Tigers defeat the Clemson Tigers 42-25. And I want to talk about that with Rob Staten of Seahawks Draft Blog. He's here to join us because, you know, now that the NFL season's over, we got to start thinking draft, and what better time to start talking about it than after the National Championship.
1: Yeah, it's the time now, Brandon, obviously the Seahawks season has finished and uh, you have this final college football game of the year as well. And it kind of just puts a bow on everything now. And, you know, when I guess at this time of the year, if the Seahawks are still not involved, I kind of just wish we could get on with the off season. You know, we've got the senior bowl coming up, uh, then we'll have the combine and free agency and we're going to start a huge off season. You know, this is a major, major off season for the Seahawks. They need to be going into 2020 with belief internally and externally that that this is going to be there yeah you know now is the time for them this is the time for the Seahawks to take the next step so the college football uh, national championship kind of signifies the end of that season Seahawks season finished on Sunday and it's time to look ahead and, and look at this draft class now
0: well I don't know how we can start off by talking about this national championship game by talking about anybody else other than the quarterback for the LSU Tigers and that's Joe Burrow with Just a huge game and 463 yards, five touchdowns. And, you know, he did it on the ground, too. I know uh, Edwards Hilaire finishes the day with the most rushing yards, but came after the game was well in hand. Joe Burrow was the leading rusher for LSU for the majority of the football game and uh, and added a touchdown on the ground as well. Uh, He's an
1: incredible player. I mean, for me, he's the best uh, college quarterback to come into the league. Probably since Andrew Luck, and and when you actually think about, you know, I loved Kyler Murray last year, and and Kyler Murray did a lot of incredible things. His ability to to move around, escape, to throw from awkward angles. And very similar to Patrick Mahomes in that regard, Lamar Jackson obviously has gone on to have a really terrific start to his college career. And and anybody who was watching properly and watching closely Louisville when he was there could see that he was much more than just an athletic running quarterback, that he had some amazing talent as a passer as well. And now we see Joe Burrow and, and they're all kind of different. The thing about Burrow, it's just he has the escapability of, you know, some of the top quarterbacks that can do that. When he's under pressure, he just has this knack of getting away, moving his feet in in, in sort of quick little steps to to shift away from pressure, to find the opening, to keep his eyes downfield. And then it's often from those plays a little bit like Russell Wilson. He will throw deep downfield. He's not checking it down and just getting a few yards or whatever's there because of the pressure. You know, he, he gets away from pressure and he's launching it. Um, he hasn't got the strongest arm, but you know, if you, if you can keep plays alive long enough for guys like Jamar Chase to get free, then, you know, he's going to find them. And look, I think if you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan, you have endured, you know, years of not bad quarterback play, but very average quarterback play with Andy Dalton. You've had countless playoff disappointments. You've then sunk into this position where you finished the season one and 15, I think it was, or two and 14, whatever. And you end up uh, with the number one overall pick. And you have just been lifted by these performances from Joe Burrow. He's going to be the number one overall pick his character, his personality, his mentality. Uh, you know, people will say, well, who does he compare to? I think the player that he compares the most to is Tom Brady. You know, his attitude and his personality, his accuracy, uh, his ability to, to 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 find openings and to keep plays alive without being an amazing athlete. He is more athletic than Tom Brady. You know, it's obvious just to watch him play. <laughs>
0: but that is the, the the name that comes to mind. That's how good he is when you watch him play. This, this will be a very exciting time for Bengals fans. Well, and maybe a mobile quarterback in the sense of Aaron Rodgers was very mobile when he was coming out of college, too. And I think the impressive thing, the the most impressive thing to me from his performance in the national championship is that they were down 17-7 and then they come back, you know, scoring 21 unanswered. And. Gosh, he had 270 yards and three touchdowns just in the first half and then a fourth touchdown if you count his rushing TD. So the fact that he was able to go down by 10 points and then it he wasn't discouraged by it and they came back and, and win the game convincingly. Well, people seem to you know, live in the moment, Brandon, and, and don't really understand maybe what
1: LSU have been for the last few years. You know, they've always been a team that has had a lot of talent. They've regularly chucked uh, NFL defensive linemen into the league. They They always have amazing defensive backs, you know, numerous first round picks at cornerback and safety. They produce receivers at a high level. Their running games are usually tough. Their O-lines are pretty good. And the one thing that's always held them back over the years is quarterback play. Um, they've never really had a guy who, you know, not even a guy who could just keep things going and keep them really competitive in the big games. That's why they lost all of those games to Alabama because of the crucial position that they had guys who could barely throw a pass and they've gone from one extreme to the other. Now they've just got this Joe Burrow has come in. He was good last year. He he didn't reach these levels. It has taken him a year to adjust having uh, transferred from Ohio state. Uh, But he is an amazing, amazing player. He has lifted this team to an unbeaten season. He's thrown 60 touchdown passes. He's thrown for something like 1,000 yards in two playoff games and had, you know, like 14, 15, 16 touchdowns in that process as well. I mean, it's just an incredible feat. It's been really fun to watch him play for LSU. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see him play in the NFL now in an AFC North division, which despite Baltimore's great success this year, still looks pretty open. And, it, you know, there is going to be opportunities for the Bengals if they can build around Burrow to, uh, to become competitive quickly, I would say.
0: Well, let's talk about the last quarterback who played for LSU that went number one overall, Jamarcus Russell. Is there any concern if you're the <laughs> Bengals that, hey, maybe, maybe this number one pick at, uh, from LSU, uh, maybe, maybe there's a history here that uh, we want to avoid? I would say
1: there is no reason to worry there because, I mean, the, the one thing about Burrow, it's just his mental makeup. I mean, just he he has the, the, he carries himself like all of the top quarterbacks do. There's like an air of confidence and belief there, but also this like steely determination. And, you know, when he has thrown interceptions this year, he hasn't been perfect. It's not really bothered him. He's kind of just got back out there when they've trailed in games as they did in in the game uh, against Clemson, he doesn't feel any pressure. He's just stone cold. And, you know, after the game, he's there, he's chomping on a big cigar. I kind of like that. You know, he's been interviewed before the game and he just looked like a guy that was just going to go on and win the national championship. Like it was just another day. I think his mental maker was, is on par with his amazing talent. And the only real quibble you can find is that the arm strength isn't amazing but it's it's the only area really that you could say he's not a 10 out of 10
0: well it does seem like he is just destined for that number one pick now going to the Bengals now he was an intriguing player to me but the most interesting player to me watching that game between Clemson and LSU was watching Isaiah Simmons Is 64 230 the way they lined Simmons up all over the field i mean they had him on the outside they had him back at safety they had him up on the line of scrimmage what kind of player is Isaiah Simmons going to be at the next level and where do you see him going in in the draft i think that he will be a top 12 pick um he's going to go very very
1: early uh, there is a feeling that he is going to test superbly at the combine the expectation is that he can jump a 40-inch vertical and eleven-zero 0 broad jump and run in the 4 four fours. And if he does that, it could even be a top 10 pick, perhaps even a top 10 lock. He is a tremendous leader. He's, he's not quite, I mean, he, he looks physically a lot like Kem Chancellor. He's not that sort of hard-hitting player that, you know, you, you may expect. But what he is, is just, you know, a, a machine who can make plays in a variety of ways. You know, it, it, numerous Clemson games, he play up the line, blitz, rush create TFLs and sacks, you, you then see him sort of running downfield against the team's top receiver and you'd actually be staying with them on a, on a go route or a post or something like that. Um, he can do all of the stuff over the middle. Teams are constantly looking for these quicker linebackers now. So it won't be surprised surprise if a team says, we're just going to play him full-time at linebacker and have him do that but you could mix him around. You could play him at safety. You could play him as like a big nickel in some situations. You know, he is a very modern day player and teams are going to get in the meeting room with him and they're going to fall in love with him. I'd be very surprised, you know, Oakland Raiders took Cleland Farrell. who um, was like Clemson's other leader mm-hmm. a year ago in the top five. I, I, You know, they could do with a safety. So I, I'd be, I'd be pretty surprised if Mike Mayock isn't all over someone like Isaiah Simmons, if they're into the range to get him, I think probably Oakland at 12 is, his his floor. It's, it's as low as he could possibly go.
0: I'm just trying to think of even a, a comparable player in the NFL because his stat line in college is ridiculous. This past year, 97 tackles. He has seven sacks, 14 TFLs, uh, three picks, six passes defense, two forced fumbles, and yeah. I, as I mentioned, he's all over the field. There's probably about. I mean, it isn't is quite an attractive draft class at the
1: top of the draft, and there are several you know, real studs, you know, blue chip players that are going to go very, very early. And certainly Isaiah Simmons is, is in that sort of ballpark there. And, you know, as long as everything goes well and he tests as well as you'd expect the combine and uh, there's no medical issues that emerge or anything like that, then he's just going to be the latest Clemson big name defender who's going to go very, very early. And it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on at the NFL because, you know, if those numbers translate to the next level, he's going to be like a defensive MVP candidate when he gets to the league. So uh, it will be fun to see.
0: Well, moving on from one Clemson defender to another, uh, one guy who did not help his draft stock in the national championship was cornerback A.J. Terrell, uh, Jr., and a guy who was expected to come out in the draft this year. But after that performance, I mean, he got beat on LSU's first touchdown. Chase was just lighting him up all, all the game. Yeah.
1: I mean, the thing is, is that Jamar Chase is going to be a very, very high pick, you know, all being well when, when eventually he comes out. So, you know, that's something to consider, but you know, it's, it's these types of games, Brandon, that the teams will go back and watch and they will, they want to see these guys come up against the best because when you get to the NFL, you're playing the best pretty much every week, you know, you're going to come up against guys like Chase a lot. So yeah, I mean, I I don't think I've, I've not studied um, tell that much. Um, I need to go on through the cornerback. I usually kind of wait on the cornerbacks to see who's got the arm length, who's right. got the size, you know, because we know the Seahawks have a type. And it kind of feels like if you start running through the cornerbacks now, and then they just get to the combine and they have thirty-one inch arms, you've kind of wasted several hours of work <laughs> um, because of an inch. So you know, it's 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 something that I kind of wait on a little bit. But then, you know, it was a game. If you want to watch good defensive backs, I would say watch the LSU guys because, you know, they just loaded again in their secondary full of players. You know, uh, Stingley's going to be an amazing player in a couple of years' time when he's eligible, probably top five. And and who knows? I mean, if there wasn't a great quarterback about that, yeah, he could even go number one. He's such a good player.
0: Well, and, and talking about that LSU secondary, Grant Delpit. You know, the twenty nineteen Jim Thorpe Award winner. He's projected to be the first safety off the board. And gosh, he had that huge hit on Higgins in the game that uh, that took him out for a minute. So uh what did you think of Delpit's performance? Yeah, great. And and look, he's played her all year. And if you watch Delpit
1: the previous two seasons, he was a playmaking machine. And if he'd have played that well, this year, then people would have been talking about him as, you know, a top seven or eight pick. Now, it's funny because I kind of laugh a little bit, you know, not that I've got all the answers by any means, but you kind of look at draft media and you see Grandelpit and he's, he's kind of like mocked in like the, the 20s or the end of the first round this year and you're thinking, you know, it doesn't take much to Google and find out that he's had an injury all year. And then you kind of look at the way that he's played for that. He's played through the injury to help his team. He's still played at a reasonably high level. It's just not been classic Grant Delpier. He's got all of the athleticism you need. He's a hitter. He's tall and rangy. Teams may even look at him and play him at because He's got that athleticism. He's got the length. He's got the size to be a great cornerback. And you can mix him around and put him on tight ends one week or a slot receiver the next. Or you could have him, you know, playing free safety. You could play a bit of strong at that size. You could play him outside at cornerback. You know, he is a really tremendous player. And for me, I don't see it. You know, I think if he gets to 10, for example, I think teams in the teens will try to move up. In my last mock draft, I had Dallas moving up to, you know, they've done it before for Mo Claiborne, you know, an LSU defender a few years ago. I think if you get sort of that 10 range, if you last as long as that, then I think teams are going to try and move up to get Grant Delpick because he's a really good player.
0: All right, Rob. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll take a look more of the offensive players. Of course, uh, we've got some receivers on both sides of the football to talk about and a few more guys on the LSU defense. So stick around. We'll be right back. joined by Rob Staten at Rob Staten on Twitter of Seahawks draft blog. And we're talking about players from the national championship. And of course, LSU comes away with the win over Clemson, but still a lot of talented players on both sides of the ball to talk about. And we kind of left off on defense at the safety spot. Let's talk about the LSU defensive line, because especially in terms of the Seahawks, you know, they're they're losing a lot of talent on that defensive line or a lot of talent that's up for free agency, at least. Who knows if they'll lose it? Of course, Jedevian Clowney being the guy that you probably be the priority for the Seahawks to sign in the offseason. But still, uh, Jaron Reed potentially going to go. And you have guys like Rashard Lawrence uh, on the line for LSU that uh, I don't know where he could potentially fall if he could land to the Seahawks. Or, uh, you know, they have uh, the Chase on, the, the edge defender too, that could come out as a sophomore this year.
1: Yeah, I, I think Chase, I, I don't really understand a lot of the hype. That he gets. That's not to say that he's a bad player. You know, what? first things first. He's got the number eighteen jersey, which means that immediately you sort of pay attention to him. There was a, a couple of times this year when he was like having a team meeting on the sideline. If if a play went wrong, or you know, like a targeting penalty or something. I can't remember the scenarios, but the cameras had panned to the LSU team, and Chason is there. You know, leading everybody, being the the mature. Uh, vocal leader of the team, and as you mentioned there, you know, given that he's not a senior, yeah, you know, seasoned player who's been there for a long time, it's really impressive that number eighteen jersey is always saved for you know people who embody leadership, great character by LSU, and you know, Travis White, for example, wore it a few years ago, and look at the career he's had at Buffalo. So it's something that you you pay attention to and you respect. That said, I, I just think people are. Miscasting him as this amazing pass rusher who and and thinking that that's what he will be at the next level. For me, he is a linebacker. You know, he is very wiry and thin. It's a complete stretch to imagine him playing defensive end on early downs or playing up at the line of scrimmage. He is a situational pass rusher. Who's probably going to play some linebacker would be my guess. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a three, four team, you, you could play an outside linebacker and have him do that role. But from the Seahawks' point of view, he's more sort of Bruce Irving after he got moved to linebacker than he is, say, Cliff Averill. Now, if the Seahawks need to take a pass rusher with their first pick, and let's hope that they do something in free agency on top of re-signing Jadavian Clowney to solve that issue, I think you need to try and find Cliff Averill, not Bruce, personally. I think you need somebody who can play early downs and challenge offensive tackles with speed and quickness off the edge and really be disruptive in the way that Ava was. Now, if they get that guy in free agency and then they decide to add the Bruce Irvin type as well, great, that's a, that's perfectly fine. You don't have to do one or the other. You could do both. They need to be aggressive here. But I don't think he's the type of player that maybe some fans um, think that he is. Now, the player that I really like on the LSU defensive line is Rashad Lawrence. You know, there's nothing particularly that jumps out about his production. His numbers are pretty mediocre. Two and a half sacks, six TFLs. But when I watched LSU and they're on TV nearly every week here, you always noticed him on the field. He was disruptive. He would rush from different angles and find the gaps and break into the backfield. He could be powerful when he wanted to be. And he just played his ass off all season. You know, his motor was relentless. It just seemed to me like he, he winning really mattered to him. And being part of the fact that they were winning mattered to him. You know, he didn't just want to win. He wanted to be right at the heart of it and um you know i think the seahawks need somebody like that they need somebody who can disrupt from the interior as well he's got an nfl frame he just looks like an nfl lineman already so i think he's going to come into the league you're probably going to be able to incorporate him into a rotation quite quickly i'd be surprised if if he didn't surprise people and kind of sneak in a bit um, into sort of a, a starting role quite quickly as well and uh, you know if the seahawks lose jaron reed then i think that lawrence could potentially be a guy that could replace him or Preferably, you keep Reed and you add this guy to the rotation. So Rashad Lawrence, to me, is a a guy worth keeping an eye on.
0: Yeah, and we talked about the matchup between Terrell and then Chase uh, at the cornerback spot on wide receivers. So in terms of potential NFL talent on NFL talent, how closely were you paying attention to the snaps where Lawrence was going up against guard uh, John Simpson for Clemson?
1: Yeah, I was a lot. I and, mean, you know, I've I've watched a f- bit of um, Simpson this week. And, you know, I, I think he's a bit too busy for me. I mean, he's clearly his athleticism stands out. I mean, I think I let him score a rushing touchdown once. And, be, you know, he is a, he is an athletic guard. But I think sometimes being an athletic guard can be a hindrance because if you try and, you know, I, I'm trying to word this the right way sometimes you can try too hard to prove that you're athletic. You know, you kind of move your feet a lot and you're kind of jittery and, you know, you get yourself twisted into into bad angles and, and do a little bit too much sometimes. And I think he needs to sort of settle down and just sort of use his athleticism to his advantage. I think he could be a little bit more powerful, you know, just block straight straight up, you know, pick the moments to use your athleticism. And I think that when he tests uh, the combine, he'll probably be quite agile, I think, Good short shuttle times, for example, might run quite fast in the 40. Whether or not he has that sort of explosive power or not remains to be seen. But I, I think he's a decent prospect. There's just, you know, there are guards that I absolutely love in this draft. You know, Logan Stenberg, love him at Kentucky. I watched him this week, was blown away by how brilliant he is. Uh, ben Bredesen at Michigan, I like, I like the centers, like center like Cesar Ruiz and uh, Nick Harris at Washington. You know, there's, I think there are some really
0: good interior offensive linemen out there. Simpson's one of them, I just prefer the other guys. Well, a couple other guys I was looking at on that Clemson offense in particular. T. Higgins, wide receiver. And, you know, 56 receptions, over 1,000 yards on the seasons, almost 20 yards per catch, 13 touchdowns. And, uh, gosh, he had that one touchdown on the end around where he runs through a tackle, then lowers his shoulder, keeps both feet in bounds, keeps that balance, and closes up that uh, four-play 96-yard drive that put the Tigers up 17-7. Yeah, T. Higgins is is a player that i really really want to watch uh
1: compete at the combine because when you actually watch him play, the the kind of the, the the name that came to mind, not because they're they're similar in terms of physical build, but it was Calvin Ridley. You know, he's kind of a very technically gifted receiver. You'd expect that from Clemson, you know, double Sweeney, that's his background. Um they they've always produced very technically gifted receivers who understand schemes and can talk in very great detail about um, you know, what defenses are doing and what their job was on a certain route or a certain play. For example, uh, Deandre Hopkins was amazing at that. You know, he used to come in after Clemson games and he'd go, what did he do on that play? And he'd go, well, I did this because the defender did this. And you know, he'd break down all the route that he was supposed to run and what I did on the stem and all this. And he, it was just so impressive to, to listen to him speak. You just knew that he'd mastered his craft and they're very, very well coached. Now this is the thing with Higgins. There's a lot of people who think that he is a first round talent, but at the NFL, you need to, Show that you can separate. Now, I think teams will give you that chance. You know, Unkil Harry, it wasn't obvious when he was at Arizona State last year that he could separate. He was a bigger body, a bit like T. Higgins. Although you saw flashes of athleticism, there was a concern about speed and the separation ability at the next level. And then he ran well at the combine, and that allayed some of those fears. He was a great character, good body, good size ran better than expected, goes in the end of the first round to New England. If T. Higgins comes to the combine and runs well, I suspect something very similar will happen again and that he will go in the first round. But there's just watching him, you kind of think, mm, is he a four-runner four or is he more like a
0: you know, late four-fives? And that's what's going to make or break his stock. Yeah, and he just finished with just 52 yards, receiving on the night, uh, three receptions on 10 targets. The more impressive performances at wide receiver were definitely on the LSU side. And another guy being talked about as, you know, potentially uh, top five among the wide receiver class, Justin Jefferson for LSU. Yeah, I think he's an underrated player who can find his way,
1: you know, whether he goes in round one or not. I think top 45 is very likely. Again, it will come down to, to how he tests this is going to be a draft loaded with wide receivers. The fact that guys like Devonta Smith at uh, Alabama have ended up uh, going back to school has created openings for other guys. So I think I fully expect Brandon Ayuk at uh, Arizona state to go in the first round. Um, I fully expect KJ Hamlet to go in the first round, Jalen Rieger to go in the first round and, and Justin Jefferson and T Higgins uh, are going to be competing for that as well. And, you know, there's every chance that they could get in there. I mean, like the one thing you have to think is like, he's not Jamar chase. That's for starters. Right, but and also the Joe Burrow factor, you know, is Burrows played so well? Has he elevated these receivers? Are they elevating him? You know, that's going to be a debate for a lot of different people. But you know, I, I think again, if he tests well at the combine, and then you go back and watch the tape, and you can say, yes, we believe that he's going to be able to separate. He's going to be able to do the things that we want to do um, downfield and on those shorter routes, and he can get easy separation, especially because he's going to be competing against guys who definitely can do that, like Henry Ruggs and KJ Hamler and Brandon Ayuk um, and Jalen Rigo. He, he's going to, you know, speed's going to matter to the Guys, they have gonna ha- there are going to be guys who run four twos, four threes at the combine if they're healthy and they run. Um, and if you're running the four fives, it ain't going to cut it, you know, in terms of the first round, second round, maybe. So, you know, you've, you've got to turn up and test at
0: the combine this year. Gosh, you ran through all those receivers and you didn't even mention CD Lamb, Rob. Yeah, you know, there's a reason for that. I, I, <laughs> I, I like CD Lamb,
1: so let me just say that first of all, but this every time he made a play in college football this year, like someone would tweet wide receiver one, you know, and you think, "Ah, come on, you know, he's, he's like quarter Patterson with, um, better receiving skills. Shall we say, but he still has a few drops. It's just that Patterson made more bonehead mistakes when he was at Tennessee. CD lamb doesn't make those. He just has the occasional, you know, mistake, shall we put it like that? But Lamb did not run well at spark. He was like a four, six runner or something like that. Okay. And he, and he doesn't show amazing speed. You know, it's, it's more slippery if that makes sense. You know, when he's kind of like the yards after the catch or he's, he's doing one of his screens that ends up being like a kick return and he like avoids seven defenders and somehow scores, you know, he's more slippery than dynamic and sudden. So I think, Teams will say a lot of these Oklahoma plays are amazing. How many of these touchdowns are happening in the NFL uh, where he's just making the impossible happen, mm-hmm. and is he going to be able to get downfield, win on a slam, win you know by just burst, get off, break, you know get open, convert a third down, and then provide the x factor as well that's what they're going to want from him and I think, as I said before, you know t higgins and Jefferson, they need to run well. C.D. Lamb needs to run well, because I'm telling you now, Henry Ruggs is going to run a 4-2. Jalen Rieger is going to run a 4-3. K.J. Hamler is going to run a 4-3. Brandon Ayuk is going to run a 4-4. You know, if you're not running in that range, then you're going to get bumped down boards.
0: It makes a lot of sense, and it brings me to another guy who I'm curious about him making a transition to the NFL just based on his namesake, and that's Thaddeus Moss, who had two touchdowns, five catches, 36 yards. For LSU in this game, and I, I think he, he probably gets a lot of attention because of his namesake, and he is a junior, so I don't know if he'll be coming out this year. I know uh, we're kind of in that period now, Rob, where guys are, are going to start making their announcements, waiting for the season to be over for, for both Clemson and LSU. But do you think Moss makes the transition to the NFL? Uh, it's going to be an interesting one because it, in to some extent it would be wise to because it's not an amazing tight end class. And we've seen
1: guys like Cole Komet coming out from Notre Dame, I think trying to capitalize on that. Hunter Bryant as well at Washington saying, look, there's not a great tight end class. Teams always need tight ends. I'll go and prepare for the combine, try and perform well, and I'll go earlier than I maybe will in a year's time. Um, so I think that Moss needs to think that as well. The thing is he's not he's not a typical tight end, is he? He's kind of like a he's kind of like a half isn't a halfway house between tight end and receiver in that he's he's not got the sort of the height, the length, not much of a blocker, but you know, they kind of put him in the open field and he is athletic and dynamic and creates mismatch issues. Um, so I think that teams that like to play Two tight ends, you know, everybody comes, it's it's the Gronk and Hernandez situation again. You know, if there's a team with someone who does the Gronk role, obviously there is only one Gronk, there's not going to be another one of those. So if you have a tight end who will do some of those duties and you want another guy who can create mismatches for you, I think that Moss could be that type of player to do that unless if he tests particularly. I mean, the name factor will have some, you know, blood, great bloodlines always matter. Um, and Randy Moss is one of the best ever. So. You know, there's a, there's a chance for him to to go early if he tests well because of the name recognition, because of what he's shown at LSU this year. But I, again, I think he has to test well to try and compete with the, the, the more traditional tight end. You know, Cole Komet's been given a second round grade by the advisory committee, and he could go in the first round because it's such a dearth of tight ends this year. Um, if he tests well, he could do that. Hunter Bryant, I think, is a second round pick. Is he in that kind of conversation? Probably not, but maybe... He gets into the league as a mid-round pick or a third-day pick and gets to the right team, and they find a, a role for him. I'll tell you where he'd be a great fit, Brandon. He'd be a great fit in Cincinnati with Burrow, <laughs> replacing some of Tyler Eifert's production,
0: and that would be a good fit for him. Yeah, give him a familiar target to throw to. And uh, the, the last guy I really wanted to talk about on the LSU offense was their running back Edwards Hilaire? You know, he he didn't have a ton of production early on, but they went to him late, and he's not the the Seahawks prototypical size. You know, only five eight, but you kind of like how he runs the football.
1: Yeah, he's one of the most fun players to watch in college football in twenty nineteen. Just tenacious, like a little cannonball, and and they were just you know he had runs where there was one run in a game where he, he just sort of blew through a hole to take it to the house for eighty five yard run. There'd be numerous plays in the Alabama game where he, they needed a couple of yards. He'd get them. Um, he can be a factor in the passing game. He's really, really good. I mean, don't be deceived by the size. He's a really, really good player. He's kind of like, a bit like Michael Turner, mm-hmm. maybe a slightly different body shape, but that kind of player, a little bit of Morris Jones Drew in there as well with a low sense of gravity and powerful base that that Jones Drew had. I think that he is a player that can can do something in the NFL. He's going to have limited stock unless he has an amazing combine like Morris Jones drew and ends up going in the second round like he did. I think it's probably more likely to be a mid round pick, but I think you could easily see him performing in the NFL. I and mean, he's just such a fun, tough player to
0: watch and has been a big part of this LSU season. Yeah, the other guy at running back for Clemson, Travis Etienne, uh he's he probably the guy who impressed me the most uh, between the two and he's fun to watch, too, but just in a little bit different way. Uh, 78 yards, he had a touchdown. And I feel like he's more of the, uh, the running back that you throw to. Yeah,
1: I, you know, there's, there's two things about Etienne. First of all, I don't understand the, the whole pronunciation of his name because, you know, there's like Saint-Etienne in France. So and it's spelled the same way. It's not pronounced Etienne. Um, there was a, a Dutch footballer, a soccer player who played in this region who, who had the same second name, and it was Etienne. H- pronounced h and this hmm. guy's etn what is the proper pronunciation? i'd love to know <laughs> um I, no i don't think anyone's ever asked him i think it's time to I hope, so, I hope if he, when he gets to the combine smugger which
0: what how is it pronounced see anyway. when i was watching football i just thought that they were calling him by like his three initials and uh, yeah. and then i looked up his name and oh yeah i guess that's uh, that's an interesting way to spell your name as as a player he's he's quite a tough evaluation because there are times when you watch him
1: and you know, he gets a crease, and he explodes through it, and you see you see real burst and speed, and and he can be a bit of a home run hitter. But then the, there are plenty of stamps as well. where He looks quite lethargic and and a little heavy legged, maybe. He's never really developed into a pass catcher, which is a bit of a surprise given the way that Clemson's always played over the years with their with their running backs. He's all he's not a sledgehammer, but he can you know be a a workhorse in certain games. His production is good. I think he's going to be a challenging assessment for NFL teams. And I think what you'll end up having is some teams will view him quite highly. And by that, I mean, potentially second round. And I think others will say we're not touching him until the fourth. And there'll be a real, I think there'll be a real mix of views on ETN.
0: Yeah, it's really surprising me now that I look back at some of his receiving stats throughout the year. To me in that game, he looked like more of a natural catch the ball out of the backfield type of running back. But uh, that, those five catches were the most that he's had in, in any single game in this past year.
1: Yeah. Which is the surprise that we've, we've said over and over again about this guy is that when are they going to establish him or when is he going to establish himself in the passing game? Because he, you, you kind of felt like he needed to show a little bit of that and not, and you know, it's not a huge thing. You know, you don't have to have a running back catch passes at the next level. you sure. know, a running back has a role, but. It, it's one of those things that maybe, maybe we focus on it too much going into the into the draft. But it's kind of one of those things you want to tick off. You know, we're always kind of looking for the complete backs. So I think it's because of the whole running back value thing. You know, when you look at someone like J.K. Dobbins, for example, at like Ohio State, who pass protects very well, catches the ball very well, has got amazing explosive qualities, great frame, can be a home run hitter. To you, you say tick, 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 tick. Okay, he's a high pick. With ETN, you go well. Has he got the speed? We'll find out. Why hasn't he caught? many passes. And that, and that is kind of a question that you end up asking the coaches, you end up asking him when you meet with him,
0: you ask teammates if you can, you dig around a little bit and you try and find out what the truth is. Well, we started by talking about the quarterbacks. I, I know Trevor Lawrence isn't going to come out this year uh, in the draft, but uh, let's, let's finish by talking about Lawrence and his likelihood to come out in the 2021 draft. And uh, you think this helps his stock, uh, his performance here in the national championship? Yeah, I think it does help him because I think it helps him because I think this is a guy who has won everything. I think he'd like
1: lost one game in his life or something stupid like that. You know, he'd, he'd won in everything in high school. I think he lost like one game in high school and then he'd won every game as the starter at Clemson, won the national championship. Um, and this was his first college loss. And actually, you do want to see players face a bit of football adversity. You know, I, I think that's, it, it's it's a key thing. I think it's something that Matt Rule was talking about when he was at Baylor, actually. This was a, a year ago, I think. He was asked about it by Daniel Jeremiah, I think. And he was talking about when teams are looking for players in the draft, they want to see players who faced football adversity, not, not life adversity, not, you know, tragedies in your life or uh, a tough upbringing or anything like that. This was things where things are not happening on the field. You're not getting enough playing time. Um, your team is struggling. You've had an injury setback. Having to fight through adversity on the field is something that NFL teams can help put a, a more complete evaluation together. Now, if he'd have just won every game at Clemson and then declared, I'm not saying he's, he'd be the number one overall pick next year, whatever happens. But the fact that now he has to come back from a fairly crushing loss, disappointing loss, he had a fumble in the game. Um, Joe Burrow was the star. He wasn't. Now, next year, he has to come back and go for it again and seeing how he does that, let's say wins a national championship next year. There's every no chance that, that could happen. That's just another great thing in his, you know, it's, it's another tick in his book. And, you know, he, he will be the number one overall pick next year. He is incredible talent has got a frame where he can add even more size. He's an immensely athletic as we saw um, on the touchdown run he had. And also in the touchdown, amazing long touchdown run he had in the previous game against Ohio state and and he's the top pick next year. Whoever has the number one overall pick next year, they're going to take Trevor Lawrence.
0: Well, Rob, really want to thank you for coming on. Of course, check out SeahawksDraftBlog.com. You've got your piece up there, the start of the Seahawks offseason. Uh, what are you kind of looking at now going into the Seahawks offseason?
1: Well, I, I just think it's, it's a really important offseason. I think it's, you know, the last two years going into the 2018 season, I think, if you were realistic, your expectations are fairly modest. They'd reset the team. A lot of veterans had moved on and it was a sort of a, a developing team and they still got to the playoffs. And, you know, it was disappointing the way that they lost to Dallas, but ultimately it was a reset year. It was understandable. And then going into this season, you know, again, my thought was, I think they need another off season, you know, especially when you see them play in week one against Cincinnati. It didn't look like a complete team. They did ever so well to uh, to get to 11 wins. Mm-hmm won a lot of close games, you know, maybe around the time they beat San Francisco in Santa Clara, you were starting to think maybe they could actually win the Super Bowl. And then when they got themselves into pole position for home field advantage, when they beat Carolina, you're thinking two home games, get home field advantage, what a chance to get there. And then it's, you know, they've been on borrowed time ever since that Arizona game, you know, to to lose, Chris Carson and CJ ProSice and Rashad Penny on top of Dwayne Brown needing knee surgery, Quandre Diggs being out, Jadavion Clowney's had this core injury. You know, most of the offensive lines had an injury of some sort. Uh, Josh Gordon got suspended at the same time that Al Woods got suspended. You know, it felt like that was it, you know, after the Arizona game. And you still maintain some hope and belief but I think that we all knew right there that the writing was on the wall, and I think that's partly why Pete Carroll was so emotional, Brandon, after the game, was that I think he, I think he knew that. I think after the Arizona game, he will have known internally this is going to be a real struggle now. Yeah. But having to ring Marshawn Lynch to come in and carry the ball for us, it's it's just going to be beyond any reasonable expectation to actually go and, go and do this now and win a Super Bowl. And I think the fact that they did as well as they did against San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Green Bay, despite all of this is what made Carroll so emotional that I think that he thought I couldn't have asked for any more from this team. And um, I think actually that's something to be proud of and to enjoy as a Seahawks fan rather than froth at the mouth and uh, and be really upset and angry about what happened at the weekend. Uh, but it does set them up now for a situation where I don't think next year any Seahawks fan should have tempered expectations. It should be that, okay, look, you've had two years to do this now to reset this team You've got cap space, you've got a laundry load of uh, uh, draft picks, unlike the last two years. You have got the ammunition now to take this team to the next level. Go and do it. Sort your pass rush out, get faster on defense, bring in more playmakers for Russell Wilson, make a decision on your offensive linemen, either retain them or replace them. And when that next season starts, week one 2020, look like a team that is ready to go for the Super Bowl, as it was in 2013. They need an off-season like that when they signed Bennett and Averill and traded for Harvin and looked ready.
0: That's the kind of off-season they need now, and it's time to deliver. Rob, it's only the middle of the week after the final loss of the season. You're, You're far too rational, Far too reasonable to have takes like this. This is the time to be angry. And then, you know, and then after a week we settle down and OK, then this is this is the, the our, our thought process moving forward. <laughs> Listen, I, look, I get it. I, I said after the game, I don't think
1: any any take after a crushing playoff loss is the wrong take. If you want to <laughs> shout at the coaches, if you want to shout at the players, if you want to do anything like that. You know, go for it. I mean, like you, you know, who, who's am I or anybody else to tell you how to feel after your team has lost a playoff game? But I think that eventually you have to sort of have the perspective of where is this team? You know, where are they in their process? Okay, I think that given all of the injuries and everything that happened after that, you know, just before and after the Arizona game, it was it was too much for the. It was too much to expect them to win the Super Bowl. You you were essentially asking Russell Wilson to do it on his own, right? And and I, I don't think that was realistic. But that said, I don't think there can be any excuses. If we are stood here, sat here in a year, provided they've avoided this, this ridiculous run of injuries again, I don't think we can sit here and have this same kind of conversation and go, oh, well, next year, give it a good go. The next year is the time. You know, it's, it's time now. Russell Wilson's in his prime. You have a core collection of players that can win you a championship. But you have flaws. The pass rush is terrible. It's in the bottom five in it, practically every category. The run defense is poor. You know they, they gave up huge explosive plays in the running game. It's far too many. They don't have enough speed on defense. They need to create more. You know DK Metcalf amazing, Tyler Lockett amazing, but they need more. You know they can't rely on Will Disley. He's had two serious injuries. Fingers crossed he comes back, but they need to go and get a tight end who can be a proper safety valve for Russell Wilson in, in games like Sunday to get a key third down. The third down was not good enough on offense as bad as it was on defense. They need to get somebody who can do that for him. They need to, it's, it, now is the time and there's, there's no reason not to do it. They've got 70 million to spend in free agency and they can create more. Um, they have draft picks in the, it's one in round one, two in round two, one in round three, two in round four. You know, they have everything that they need to go and go after this now? Well, I, I think they will. I think there'll be. I think it'll be an incredibly aggressive off-season, actually. Uh, and I think there'll be pressure from people like Russell Wilson. If you notice, Wilson speaking in the locker room yesterday was saying, we need to go and get some guys in now. We need to go. It's time. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to, next five, I want to know, I think the exact words he used were, I want to know what we're going to do over the next five years so that I can be the best quarterback that's ever played the game. Yeah. And you're thinking, yeah, that's what I want to hear from the quarterback. But the thing is, is that Cowell won't ever say any talk that way in, in public and neither will John Schneider, but you better believe they believe that too. They will believe they will want that just as much as he does. Um, and I think they're going to get it right. And I believe in them. And I think they will produce the kind of team that is needed for 2020, but have got to go and do it now. Big, uh, big four months coming up.
0: Well, looking forward to covering the off season with you, Rob, and I'll be tuning in SeahawksdraftBlog.com. dot I'm sure people also tuning in fieldgoals.com, com. and uh, looking forward to the senior bowl coming up here shortly as well. So, With that, Rob, I want to thank you for coming on. I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon and go Hawks.